is that most people, well, I'd, I'd say there's two. Most libertarians believe that intellectual property is a type of natural property right or a type of common law property right, which is not. And they also think that it is it has to do with incentivizing the production of of these works, that it incentivizes people to produce inventions and artistic works, which it does not. And they also think that that is a proper function of law, which it is not. Okay, And they also think that creation is a source of property rights, which it's not. That's another fallacy, a confusion in the basic understanding of libertarian and property rights theory, which I can go into if, if you guys would like me to. Um, and they also falsely believe that the that the especially in the case of patents, they falsely believe that the inventor of a patented invention uh, that someone else who creates a similar invention or the same invention ripped off uh, or did something wrong. And they copied it from the from the first guy that patented it, which is also false. So almost everything that people believe about patents and copyrights is confused and wrong. Um, so I would say that the two main fallacious beliefs is that um, the purpose of property rights ought to be to incentivize people to do things, especially to create innovative works, that the patent and copyright system do that. Right, and also that creation is and should be considered to be a source of ownership. So those are the kind of key fallacies that this whole field of IP rests upon. And then one more thing I guess I would say is that you will often hear people like me, and I'm a patent attorney, by the way, and I'm, an, I'm a libertarian who's pro-free pro market, pro-capitalism, pro-innovation, pro-private property rights – You'll hear someone call me a commie, right? Um, so I think the other fallacy is the idea that if you're against intellectual property, you're some kind of socialist or communist. Now, that's also fallacious. In fact, I would argue that the problem with intellectual property rights is that they are socialistic in the sense that they undercut private property rights. And everything that undercuts true private property rights is, in fact, a type of socialism. So patent and copyright are a type of socialism. All right, there. How's that for provocative uh, uh, bomb, bomb throwing? <laughs> and I can back all this up, by the way, because I've had 30 years to practice. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, we, we've certainly been studying up on some of your uh, podcasts and YouTube videos, and it does seem often that you are up against the world, that some of these uh, fallacies are so prominent in society that it is hard for people to even... Uh, take a look at your arguments or try to, to comprehend them in an intellectual fashion. So, um, yeah, it, it, you certainly have a lot to unpack here, I think, for our listeners who might have uh, gotten a little triggered by a few of those statements. Yeah, I um, I just want to go ahead and add, uh, Stefan, I'm really glad that you're on. I've actually really been pushing hard. I've been really looking forward to this conversation with you because I think that you are so spot on with your views on intellectual property. And I think that it's one of those things that 
the ramifications of it just don't get enough consideration because, I mean, we can take even a modern day example, you know, with this COVID vaccine that's going on. Uh, in my opinion, I think that if something like that, instead of you, you have a bunch of corporations all vying for patent rights to this vaccine, instead, if, if that, uh, you know, that all that information and all that data was allowed to be shared in open source, then, uh, you know, we could come up with a vaccine that might be you, that people may trust a lot more if everything is there and it's open and transparent for everyone to see. You might see uh, the rates of it increasing. I think that we would see maybe even faster. The vaccine may be getting done even faster. And I think that the ramifications of intellectual property is just something that is not discussed enough in this world. Um, I agree. The the entire COVID um, uh, pharmaceutical patenting thing combine uh, the whole thing is so confused because everyone is so confused and the government people are so dishonest about ip and plus they don't quite understand it so you hear you'll have trump accusing china of ip theft and they don't even know what they're talking about or they're not clear what they're talking about and at the same time they're saying that um trump is saying how he's uh, lowered pharmaceutical prices and biden is saying that they're they're going to uh, give medicare so they're going to socialize medicine to lower drug prices by giving, Medi- uh, I don't know, Medicare, Medicaid, the right to bargain with. At the same time, the federal government has caused drug prices to be high by granting patents and the FDA process, which is like a patent monopoly in the first place, which caused prices to be high in the first place. So like they're schizophrenic, right? So the federal government causes prices to be high by taxing and monopolizing and regulating the FDA process and granting patent monopolies and then threatening to lower them by price controls or by having socialized medicine bargaining power to lower them. And I mean, so like, which one is it, you know? And at the same time, they have all these companies racing to get a so-called vaccine or cure, therapeutic cure for, for COVID. And you know, they're all hoping to get a patent on it but if they once they do they're going to be accused of 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 unfairly using their monopoly that the government gives them at the same time that the government is paying them taxpayer funds to distribute this vaccine from the military so everything is totally confused no one can tell who's in favor of what is the patent system good or bad or are we going to have some big prize awarded to them by Bill Gates or the government or what? Yeah, and I think that's a lot of the point that some of these the libertarian folks miss when it comes to patents. It's, it's essentially it's a government grant of monopoly. So if any time anybody wants to improve on it, like then they're accused of stealing it or <laughs> or or uh, you know or or being unoriginal or 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 theft. You know, I think. I think it was like in 2016. There was a big stink with uh, the patent on um, on EpiPens, mm-hmm. and uh, that pharmaceutical uh, company Mylan bought it. Like EpiPens were like a hundred bucks or something, and then that company acquired <laughs> them, and uh, they shot up to like six hundred bucks. And there was a massive, you know, debate going on not just in the libertarian community but worldwide about why they were so expensive, you know. But the free market won out, you know, they had some kind of like hacker group, like the, I think it was called the Four Thieves Vinegar Collective or something that showed people how to make their own EpiPens, you know, for under 10 bucks. I, uh, <laughs> was that that guy that went to prison for some other issue or was that a different uh, controversy? 
Um, I'm not sure. I don't know what guy went to prison. Was it, <laughs> no, that was that Martin. was a different one. That was yeah, Martin Screlly. Yeah, I don't know if you guys ever watched his uh, live stream as that whole thing was going on. He, uh, you know, he really broke down why he raised the price of that drug, and you know, he was trying to do R and D on it and everything. And I, I couldn't help but sit there after watching him for hours and hours, just thinking like, this guy is really trying to do the right thing, and he's getting run through the gamut for it. Well, not only that, I, I, from what I recall from just vaguely following the story, um, I think that the me- the media got that one wrong. I think that when Screlly bought that product. I think it was all. It wasn't even patented anymore, uh, but he, it had an FDA. So there's like another type of monopoly that comes into play because of the FDA process, which is similar to a patent. So he was. So it wasn't even a patent. Everyone called it a patent issue, but it wasn't. I don't know about the EpiPen issue. It might have been. Um, and then there were some other issues uh, apparently recently uh, reported by TechDirt some kind of little valve in some of these respirators that were being used for COVID and someone just 3D printed them because uh, they were apparently being held up by a patented supplier and they were being sold for hundreds of dollars and someone just 3D printed them. And, you know, so you always have these kind of egregious cases and everyone just, you know, the worst case I think that shows that if you don't have a principled as for libertarians, right. And Austrian or free market economists, if you let one little kind of uh, uh, bad part of uh, b- bad thinking get into your principles at the beginning, it can affect everything. And you had these like Cato, some Cato people. This is about 10, 10, 15 years ago. You had some Cato people who were pro patent rights and they were objecting to free trade because what happens is you have these American pharmaceutical companies and they're selling pharmaceutical patents patented pharmaceuticals on the u.s market for the free market price which is not a free market price i mean it's a it's a market clearing price given the patent but it's a monopoly price right it's a very high inflated price but in other countries like canada and europe where they're socialized medicine they have price controls which lowers the price back to where it would be on a free market but it's still price controls because of socialized medicine and because they don't like what the patent inflated price does, and so, but the but the pharmaceutical manufacturer still makes a profit because the price in the U.S. is so inflated, and so they still sell it there, right? So the pill that's being sold is manufactured according to the same process, so it's safe. So you have a pill that's sold for I don't know thousand dollars a a pill in America, being sold under price control conditions for a hundred dollars in Canada, let's say. And then it was being reimported back into America and sold for 110. Let's say, you know, that's arbitrage, right? So if you if you're an American consumer, you can buy the pill for 110 here instead of paying a thousand. You know, your your insurance company is going to want to pay the 110 instead of a thousand. And so that that's a way of undercutting the patent monopoly here. So you have these alleged free market libertarian economists at Cato. They have a choice to make: Are you in favor of free trade, or are you in favor of the patent monopoly? And they took the side of the patent monopoly because your your principles are now in conflict. Now, when your principles are in conflict, to me, that shows that one of your principles is wrong. And one of them is wrong, but they chose the wrong one. Now, some of the other guys said, no, 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 you have to choose the other. But if your principles are in conflict, something is wrong, right? Um, but it just goes to show that if, if, 
if your principles are in conflict, it shows that you have to go back and re-examine your fundamental principles. I mean, even Ayn Rand admitted that, right? That you know, you know, men's fundamental interests cannot be in conflict ultimately, and neither can your your own principles. And if they're in tension, you have a, a contradiction somewhere down the line. So you have to go back and re-examine everything. And the fundamental mistake that people make is, as I said earlier, it's the assumption that labor is what creates value or that creates wealth uh, or property rights and that creation is a source of property. That's the fundamental, fundamental mistake everyone makes. And honestly, if you think about it, it's this Lockean idea that if you mix your labor with something, that's a source of property rights, which is not true. And it's very similar, if you think about it, to, to the Marxian idea, the labor theory of value, right? That the worker is being ripped off if his employer is making a profit because the, the excess value of his labor is being stolen from him. There's something kind of strangely similar about these arguments, right? It should make us uncomfortable, and it, it should make us uncomfortable because that's the mistake that was made in the beginning. That's why – it's led in our modern age of digital technology where copying has become part of what you know production involves. It's led to this, this kind of schizophrenia in our thought. Yeah, I, I think that a good way to uh, sort of analogize this is actually just kind of like with meme culture. You know, we, we see these ideas, you know, people mix certain ideas with certain images. And then, you know, somebody will take and remake a meme and somebody will water make, watermark a meme. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what we see is the overall finished product is doing nothing but improving because someone may have an idea and then someone may take that idea. It might be just be a tweet or it might be a talking point. And then they mix that talking point with other images. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have what we, you know, we see, we see these refined talking points. We see quality images with, you know, when it comes to memes and uh, it's just really interesting to see how these thoughts advance without anyone really having ownership over it. Well, you also have uh, common practices and assumptions that people don't challenge. So you'll have like a lawsuit where – I don't know. You'll have a lawsuit where um, Led Zeppelin is accused of so-called, unquote, a quote, ripping off, unquote, some other band for the riff in Stairway to Heaven – and then there's a big copyright lawsuit, and then the jury has to decide whether the two songs are too similar or not. And the, the unchallenged assumption is that if they're too similar, number one, there must have been copying. And if there was copying, then it's wrong, or it's, quote, ripping off. And you have people say things like, oh, he stole my idea. And no yeah. one challenges the assumption that, well, wait a minute, you mean he copied your idea? What's wrong with copying ideas? What's wrong in the first place with that? Isn't that isn't that what the free market is about? Isn't that what copying and emulation is about? I think uh, I think it was Vanilla Ice actually that made this argument the best when he got sued by Queen for using under pressure for his song Ice Ice Baby. Yeah, but but even that even that little joke that makes fun of that the implicit assumption there is that oh under pressure is such a de minimis use there's nothing wrong with just a de minimis use, but I would challenge the entire assumption. What's wrong with a blatant, complete copying of the entire pattern, right? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with 
if someone makes a BMW 750i car that everyone loves, and I'm a Chinese company that makes a perfect knockoff of it, what's wrong with that? Right. And the only thing that I would see an issue coming up into it is if you would fraudulently represent that as as right. um, as somebody else's product, right? So that's the only thing is right. – and, and right, there's, right, there's right, inherent right, flaws with yes. fraud and – yeah. But, right. but, but, uh, but, 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 but this is the thing. Everyone mixes these issues together. They'll say something like, oh, that's plagiarism. Well, plagiarism has nothing to do with fraud and nothing to do with copyright and nothing to do with trademark and nothing to do with patents. And nothing to do with IP. Plagiarism is a contract issue, and fraud has nothing to do with IP either. Fraud is a consumer, uh, a consumer uh, fraud issue, and you know. So there, are, these are all distinct issues, and they just lump them all in together without knowing the difference. And if you want to make a fraud claim, that's fine. But honestly, a, a car manufacturer in China that is selling. Fake BMW 750i's for one third the price of real BMWs. I don't really think that anyone buying the 750 is going. The fake one is going to think they're real. They just want to save money. You know, well, right? Exactly. As, as a New so Yorker, there's no, I so can, there's no actual fraud issue. Yeah, as a New Yorker, I can speak to this. You know, there's a lot of street vendors that love selling knockoffs, and you won't get the Louis Vuitton, but you'll get the Louis Vuitton for you know a hundred bucks as opposed to fourteen hundred. <laughs> well, wait, and they only do that because they're forced to try to make it not be a trademark knockoff because they're trying to avoid the cops seizing it and burning it. But in a free market, you could have an actual Louis Vuitton exact knockoff that. A customer would want to buy, and they would know. Look, if you buy a Rolex on the street for thirty dollars, you know that it's you're the customer. You know that it's fake. You're not being defrauded. There is no fraud. Exactly. Who's, who's the vic, Who's the victim here? Probably safe to say that. I mean, it's 2020. Ideas have been around for a long time, and it, and it's probably safe to say that. You know, there's nothing original anymore. There's there's no more everything well, that, well, that anybody well, comes up with or creates is inspired by the work of somebody else. You know, so well, well that, that's another point about incre- incrementalism and discovery and an invention. Uh, uh, that's another problem with the, the whole idea of patents and invention. Everything is incremental. But not only that, we libertarians, all these libertarians are in favor of IP. Have we forgotten what we used to be in favor of? Does anyone remember their Latin caveat emptor? Buyer beware. Didn't we used to say that? Like, we used to say, look, if you buy something, you check it out first before you buy it because when you walk off the lot, you get no warranty. You get no buyer's remorse. You check out that apple before you buy it. Make sure there's no worms in it because once you buy it, you you gave your dollar. The deal is done. I mean, you know, if, if you're so stupid that you buy a, a BMW for $80,000 and it's really only worth $5,000, you know – Maybe it's good to part a dumbass with his money. I mean, I, I don't even understand this. This, I mean, maybe Darwinism and natural selection is a good thing. <laughs> you know, why do we take the side of dumbasses all the time and want the law to? I'm not even saying that we have to go there, but why do we have this automatic? Let's 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 protect the the people that are the stupidest customers on the planet who don't do any due diligence on their own. 
Right. I think that's I think that's probably a consequence of allowing the the you know the government allowing these like we said these monopolies to exist in the first place. When uh, the government grants you you know exclusive rights over something, people tend to uh, they I guess they get lackadaisical or they get and they end up needing oh you know the government creates this so now the government's got they're supposed to be taking care of this instead of just personal responsibility and like you said you know people finding out what they're buying before they buy it well i know but i know but so why but but now we have libertarians so yeah so we understand that if you have welfare you're going to harm the population that we're supposed to help but now we have libertarians saying oh well we need ip law because we need strong consumer protection legislation to help we need trademark law to protect your reputation because people need to know that the hamburger's safe and it's like what are you, what the hell are you calling for a federal? Do you want federal meat inspection now too? I mean, what the hell happened to the the good old libertarians of the seventies? What the hell, man? Jesus Christ! Give me back I, the libertarians of the old days. They, they joined the Republican Party for a while they've there in the eighties, and they stopped smoking of, weed. <laughs> they've, all, they've all become a, a bunch of pussies. <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems like it creates more conflict and uh, probably wastes more tax payer dollars than anything else. But my point was kind of going to add to what you addressed earlier and what Matt already had mentioned as a musician uh, in a previous life, you know, I could say firsthand that there was bands and artists that would influence me. And I think this goes across the gamut for any type of artist, whether it be somebody who's a writer or a poet or even directors, you know, with movies and stuff. I mean, we're all influenced by the people who we we've looked up to the people who we've studied over the years, you know? And so it's not surprising when all of a sudden you write a song and it sounds something like your favorite band. And so I think, yeah, there is a fine line there as to, you know, what exactly is the incrementalism and what exactly is, you know, this quote IP law violation. And to me, it just seems like it makes things more messy and confusing. Well, I would also think that, um, you know, in a world where there's no IP, you know, a given artist is going to draw on many sources, some of which he forgot, some of which he doesn't know, some of which are in his subconscious. And sometimes he would he would just say, oh, yeah, I was influenced by Joan Baez or whatever. And he, he wouldn't be afraid to admit it because there's no legal liability. But right now, everyone is afraid. They would say, oh, no, I came up with all this in my basement, and I had I had a clean room, and I had no... I had six months alone on this island in my thing, and I had no influence whatsoever. So it makes everyone dishonest and paranoid about liability, and it distorts culture. Right. Why not just do whatever the hell you want and admit it and take credit for the part that you added and just go with the flow, which is how music and art should be. No, instead, we're moving towards this scenario where it's like everything is owned and, and, and copyrighted and – like we we deal with that on a regular basis with what we do at Free Thought Project. We make these videos and we put out different content. And you know they have these companies, these IP troll companies, um, like Viral Hog and um, and a bunch of other ones. And what they do is they go around and purchase the rights to content, right? So like they'll pay whatever I don't know how much money, but then then there's all these other people that already had put out this this content before viral hog swept in and purchased the rights to it or whatever that means 
And then so all these other people get hit with, uh, you know, for us, we get demonetized. They take the money from our video. They're like, that's literal theft, you know. And and we were we say we were the first people to put that video out, but it doesn't matter anymore because you know you have these IP trolls that go around and do that. Yeah. And right now it's a small inconvenience, but it, like I see that it could go towards down this road to where it could actually be used as as a form of censorship in the future, you know. And that's where it gets really scary, and that's why I think that you know that that more people need to to study up on this, uh, you know, on intellectual property and, and why we need to, you know, we need to be aware of it and, <clears throat> and actually challenge it. Even worse than that, though, sometimes we have people who are victims of police violence and they'll reach out to us and ask us to share their video. And then, you know, it goes viral. And a week later, we get this notice from Facebook saying one of these IP trolls has bought the rights for it and we have to take the video down and, you know, we try to dispute. And, of course, they have no interest or incentive to try to allow us to keep it up. And, and here's another example, too, Matt, just to add on to that. There's been a handful of times as well where we've posted um, a video where in the background, like on a TV or a radio or something, there's copyrighted music just very, yeah. very faintly playing in the background. And uh, we'll get dinged for that, too, and even have the video removed so, um, yeah, it's a total mess. It's just, it seems like it's uh, only getting worse the more these big tech companies crack down as well. We got the exclusive rights to a dash cam video from a person we did a story on back in like 2015 or so. And um, when we put the video on YouTube, um, the, the dash cam that we had, it had been given to us exclusively so we could put it out there. And we, we don't, at, here at Free Thought Project, we never, you know, we encourage people to share and recreate all of our content. We don't. We don't um, hoard it. So we put this on YouTube, and the dash cam video, it was like a guy getting beat up by cops, and, and it was from – all you could hear was the audio inside the car. And on the radio in the cop's car, there was some country song playing, like 15 seconds of some country song. So YouTube deleted the video, and then we got a, like a strike against our account. And I think actually that was our old YouTube account, and they might have even taken it down for that. And um, that's just – that's the slippery slope that this goes down, you know, and it's just been getting worse and worse. Well, uh, you can't blame YouTube in a sense because they're responding to the incentive structure set up by copyright and by – look, it's complicated. It's boring to some people. I mean what happened was copyright existed for a long time as a result of you know, government control of law and inefficiencies and favoritism by the government and – the desire of the government, the church, and the crown to censor people, right? Um, and the desire to suppress freedom of speech and the printing press when it arose, and this resulted in copyright law and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, when, when the printing press and the internet exploded in 1995 and all this kind of stuff happened, yeah, things, things evolved. When the DMCA and the CDA in the 1990s under Bill Clinton happened, these two safe harbors snuck in. I think unexpectedly, uh, I don't think Hollywood knew what they were agreeing to let their, their lapdogs in Congress agree to, but Bill Clinton signed it and it allowed the internet to flourish. Okay. This is what they're complaining about. Now the CDA and the DMCA, safe harbors, right, for Twitter and YouTube and all these things. 
they gave them immunity from from other people's actions, right? For for defamation and for copyright liability. That's why we have these takedowns by YouTube. They have to do that to keep their safe harbor liability, immunity, right? They have to do this. Otherwise, they would be sued into oblivion, and yeah, we wouldn't have the internet as we know it. Wasn't there a, wasn't there actually an update to that as well that really cracked down? Because I remember, you know, I've been on the Internet for a long time. I remember years ago, you used to be able to go on, find any movie, you know, in seconds. You could find, a, just do a quick search for it, and uh, you could find numerous pirates of it. And ever since, I believe there was something under Obama back in 2012, somewhere around that time period, that uh, they passed an update to the DMCA that really started cracking down on movie piracy and stuff like that. I think there was. There's some updates to the CDA as well. But basically the safe harbor has sort of remained intact. It's just in the U.S., of course, which is weird because the Internet's a a global thing. So you wonder why does one law of one country matter so much. But the U.S. is so dominant, and the Hollywood – it's basically Hollywood, the music industry in the U.S., and the pharmaceutical industry in the field of patents, which drives everything, and then other countries have, have followed suit. Um, but basically, um, uh, these safe harbors so, – so right now you have the conservatives are now saying, oh, well, the argument that you made was that it's unfair for CopyServe which was the original one, or AOL, to be treated like a publisher because they're not curating content. So we're going to say that they're not liable for third-party content of their comments or whatever um, as long as they take it down after getting a notice, right? So, of course, YouTube and the others responded automatically with this, with this, the, the, the strike provision. Right? They just take it down. Because that's what they have to do. Otherwise, they get liable. So you can blame them, but they're just responding to otherwise their business model won't work, right? Even the Google Books thing, like this whole Google Books thing, it took a decade to settle in in in, 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 in litigation, you know, with the libraries and the and these authors that make the money anyway. I don't even understand the whole thing there, but um, so the whole thing is a mess. It's a miasma, you know. It's 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 chaos. But this is all – what I was going to say earlier before I interrupted you guys, um, when people, what bugs me is when people say, oh, this is like uh, an abuse of the system. It's really not. This is a predictable outcome of the system. If you have patent and, trade and copyright law, you're going to have this kind of result. There's – what we have now is not an abuse of the system. This is a predictable outcome of the system. You know what I mean? Oh, I completely agree. And actually, I know Jason had a comment here, but really quick, I just wanted to uh, just to say, I think that what you're talking about, I think that this this whole idea is revolutionary in the fact that, like you said, the business model is going to fail. Like the system is set up right now in such a way that it's protecting the system and the people who have entrenched interests here are not going to be happy if this ever changes. And just to give this uh, again, another analogy, I think in the, in the 19th century, there was an evolution in thought and people realized that they couldn't own other people, or at least most of them did. (laughs) 
now in the 21st century, I think that we're going to see an evolution in thought and that people realize that they can no longer idea, own ideas. And we're going to see more open source technologies. I think it's just going to fundamentally change the paradigm that we live in. Well, you know, I, I like I like the optimistic. Uh, I don't want to call you a millennial and besmirch you, but the young the young person attitude. Um, I I hope for that. Uh, on the other hand, I see some of these. Uh, young libertarians saying that the world is becoming digital and everything is becoming more digital and therefore the paradigm needs a shift in the other way like we need to shift property rights towards everything is more digital so intellectual property is the more important thing and that's the randian sort of core of the early libertarian idea space you know what i mean like an idea like a poem or a novel or an invention is more of a true property right than, I don't know, your homestead, your farm, your factory. Because that is like 10%, 20%, 30% based upon factors you didn't create. But at least your idea is 100% what you created. So you 100% own that. So that's why this idea that property rights are based upon what you create is so pernicious, and we have to defang that from – at least from political theory, at least among libertarians. If we can't make headway among fellow libertarians who at least think about these things, then we're – I won't say we're doomed, but I mean we're, we're going to have a long, a long dark winter, as Joe Biden said. <laughs> uh- I, uh, I totally agree. I, I've actually been called a commie on more than one occasion because of some of these beliefs. And it's just really nice to have somebody else that, you know, sort of shares the, the mentality and that this, this is a, it's a pair. And like you really quick, just to get back to what you were saying, we're seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, expressing these these property rights over ideas and such. I think that if we can get away with that, hopefully we can get away with that. You know, maybe I am a little bit utopian, but uh, I think that. People in general, I think that we're starting to see it with Bitcoin now. Uh, Bitcoin is a perfect example of open source technology, essentially, that we can use as money. And it's democratically controlled. It's democratically controlled to an extent because miners get to choose which blocks to, you know, to validate and such. It's really cool to see where uh, this uh, all this uh, this train of thought is uh, heading in the future. Well, I would say that, um, well. I would never use democratically in a positive sense, but I, I know what you mean. Not to be a dick, but I know what you mean. Um, I, I would say that um, um, I do think there's a couple of positive trends. I do think that the way the world is heading, unless we you know, destroy ourselves with gray goo or something, um, uh, copyright is, is dying its last legs. It's going to do a lot of damage before it dies. But basically, I think Cory Doctorow said something like, you know, the Internet is the world's greatest copying machine. And it's never going like he said this like 15 years ago. But he said something like from today forward, it will never get harder to copy things. It's only going to get easier to copy things. So copying is only going to get easier going forward. 
So think about that. So if you have copyright, you're trying to stop copying, your right is dying away. Someday it will die away. And in the physical realm, which patent tries to stop, my hope is that 3D printing, if it matures someday, I'm a pessimist, so I'm thinking, you know, 30 years, 30 years. Like, I think we're in the dot matrix phase of, of, of 3D printing, right? Sure. So 30, 30 years That's from now. That's a good way to put printing. that. Yep. Yeah. 3D printing 30 years from now is going to be incredible. 50 years from now, 3D printing will be uh, mind-boggling, maybe. So at that point, 3D printing will be able to create matter that will be able to evade all the patent bullshit. So the good thing is that technology and liberty and capitalism will be able to evade the stupid, antiquated systems that shackle human thought and innovation, which is copyright and patent. Honestly, look, I'm a libertarian. I'm an anarchist. I hate the, the drug war, all the, all the crap that we all hate. However, I kind of think that the copyright and the patent system may be the two biggest covert dangers that we've ever faced. I mean, we have taxation, we, we have the Fed, we have public education, but I kind of think patent and copyright are the two worst things we've ever faced. But we can defeat them with pure technology. It just might take a ton, 50 years, five decades. Just to, just to uh, interject real quick here, I actually, I, I was on an acid trip one time, and I had a vision of just like what you're talking about now, where a future where we can 3D print anything that we need, and if you need an idea for something to 3D print, all of the information is out there, it's open source, you can just look up a design for a coffee mug or whatever right. you need, and you can just print it right there. Right. That's uh... right. And it, it, imagine, like, j just give me thirty seconds. So imagine we're all like telepathically linked by receivers in our heads. We have a network, hyperfast. Uh, we're all un unimaginably richer because we haven't gray gooed ourselves, and we all have nanotech swarms of robots and defense agents around us. So the government becomes atrophied and irrelevant, and a, and a relic and a robot. And like a zoo, basically, like an interesting, uh, you know, it's like the queen in England. Everyone's interested in seeing Buckingham Palace, but she has very little power, very fine. So I kind of imagine that 100 years from now, maybe 500 years from now, whatever. So I, I imagine that is the benevolent soft landing of society. And I'm hoping for a soft landing. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, with the age of information, uh, let's hope it takes less than 100 years. Uh, who knows, though, right? But um, that, that quote was actually spot on and great about uh, the Internet being the, the biggest copy machine and uh, certainly more uh, on par and accurate than good old Paul Krugman's 2005 uh, prediction of the internet effect on the economy is no greater than the fax machines. So <laughs> he, uh, he failed pretty hard on that one. You talked about earlier how America has the, the power with the IP laws, and it, it often, um, you know, kind of convinces other countries also to play that ball game. Um, I, I heard in one of your talks years back in the Mises Institute that you mentioned that 
Um, not only IP laws affect this country, but the U.S. government's kind of weaponizing it and pushing it internationally in other countries uh, to, to adopt the IP laws so they could also control other IPs and patents, um, similar to what they did with outsourcing the concept of central banks, um, while you know they keep their control and monopoly on these certain ideas. Uh, I think you also said that China had uh, skyrocketed with their number of IP laws over a short period of time. Um, is that kind of what Trump is concerned about with like the whole TikTok issue? And Interesting. Uh, the TikTok issue, I think, is very obscure. I think the TikTok issue is more of a uh, surveillance issue. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. The, the TikTok issue is just about their data storage. They were worried about the Chinese Communist Party being able to get to the uh, get to their data because of certain servers that their information is stored on. Yeah. I so I I think what's happening is this. So when you have a new country like the U.S. was in the 1800s, uh, you have to have tariffs to protect your your industry. What do they call it? You know, flood, not fledgling industry, but whatever they call it. Um, so you have to have tariffs to protect yourself and all that kind of crap. So the Berne Convention was already being adopted for literary or artistic works in the 1800s. The Berne Convention is the copyright treaty. So I don't want to. I don't want to mislead people. This is really into the weeds, okay? But the Berne Convention is the international copyright treaty that the U.S. uses right now to bully other countries to adopt international copyright standards for the benefit of Hollywood uh, and the music industry. However, it is true that we resisted joining it until the late 1800s because we were a fledgling country in the beginning. Okay, so we did resist it at first. We finally joined it, and now we're the biggest you know, giant on the block, right? And then the others, the Paris Convention, the PCT Convention, the others... At this point, China is part of all this stuff. Like, they might not be the most vigorous enforcers, but all this stuff about how China is a IP thief, first of all, you know, this whole idea of honor is high in the Asian society. So we have Trump and the Republicans and the U.S. government officials saying, over and over and over and over again that China steals American IP. And they're very vague about it. No one can say what they're talking about. Like, that's a big affront to national Chinese honor. Like, so what What are they going to do? So, what they're talking... So, they, they impl- so they're not stealing American patents because patents are a national thing. This is in the weeds, as I said earlier. So, they can't steal American patents because they can only come to America and violate American patents. So they don't mean that. They don't mean violating copyrights because that's their local law. Copyrights are local. Patents are local. Hmm. So it's up to them what they do in local law. So what are they talking about? So what they're talking about is two different things. Industrial espionage, okay, which honestly is not really an uh, IP thing. It's not really intellectual property. Industrial espionage is really corporate giants infiltrating each other, or it's CIA kind of bullshit, which has really nothing to do with intellectual property. Okay? Nothing. So let's leave that out of it. 
Here's the here's the real thing they're talking about. I'll lay it out. It's going to be boring international law shit that I love, but no one <laughs> cares about it. And by the way, none of the people bitching about it even understand, but they're bitching about it because they've been told by some policy wonk. So here's what happens. America has or used to have a relatively free market. <laughs> so if you want to open a business, you open a business, right? You don't need a fucking license. You just open a business. In China, it's not the same thing because they're Asians and they're you know former commies or whatever. So if you're an American company and you want to have a – if you're Apple and you want a factory in Wuhan, China, guess what you got to do? You got to go to Wuhan. You got to make a relationship with the mayor. Got to have a big dinner. You got to do all the bullshit Asian crap. You know the whole deal. Open up a factory. Guess what they're going to want you to do? Have a license from the local province. Blah 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 blah. All this stupid primitive eighteenth, seventeenth, sixteenth century bullshit. You know because they're not part of the modern world yet, right? Which. The modern world apparently is Biden and Trump. Congratulations, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. You know what I mean? But my point is what you got to do is ultimately you have to buy a license from the local province, which means you have to get permission to open up a factory. To open up a factory, you have to appease someone's brother-in-law, which means you have to tell them they're going to bring jobs to the local factory just like we do here with the union bullshit in, in frickin', you know, uh, Wisconsin or whatever. You know, it's the same bullshit. So you have to have a joint venture with a local Chinese company in Wuhan. So Apple, to make iPhone in Wuhan, has to have a joint venture with a Chinese company. Now, why do they do that? Because they want to make iPhones for cheaper in China than they make it in California because of our fucking minimum wage laws. I mean, you know, to simplify. You know what I mean? So they do that. So they know that they have to have hundreds of faceless Chinese workers that they don't know and that that have loyalty and that have low education and that are jumping off buildings committing suicide because they're depressed and, you know, the whole thing is like out of a movie. You know, it's crazy. The point is there's cross-pollination, and so their trade secrets get leaked. Trade secret is a fourth type of IP law, they call it. The point is you have workers, and they steal your drawings because they're being paid sub-minimum wages, and someone steals a, a drawing of an iPhone 5, right? And they take it to a factory and some other Guangdong province of China and they make another iPhone clone or whatever because there's a quasi-free market left in China in the gray zones. So they call that IP theft because because China doesn't have a total free market. They require Apple to partner with another JV there and, and then their secrets get leaked because they have Chinese co-workers and the secrets get leaked, and all of a sudden, China's Apple—I mean, Apple's iPhone five—is no longer proprietary. And Apple complains that their trade secrets are not being respected. 
Nothing to do with patents, by the way, because trade secrets are not the same as patents. Nothing to do with copyright, by the way. But all of a sudden, China's being called a trade secret thief. Not China doing it. It's not even industrial espionage. It's just the natural thing that happens when you have a turnover of employees or being paid slave wages because you're working with a slave wage country. You know what I mean? Like the whole deal is like fucked up. On that note, on that note of wages, I did just want to pivot real quick to um, um, as far as your opinions on on finance. I know you're a big you're a big Bitcoin guy, right? I would not say I'm a big Bitcoin guy because I know lots of big Bitcoin guys, and they all know that I know that I am like just a meek, humble uh, grass <laughs> uh, what, grasshopper guy compared to them. <laughs> I go to these conferences, I listen to them, but I am I'm a pro Bitcoin guy. Yes. Okay. Pro, yeah, pro Bitcoin. I was I was just making sure. I th- I thought I had saw something on your Twitter that made I'm, that I'm brought Bitcoin it up. Maximal- I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, as far as I understand the term. Oh, it's same actually. I've been uh, buying quite a bit lately here myself, just watching it go up. Um, I did want to ask you though, as far as Bitcoin is considered, you know, Bitcoin is an example of the open source technology that we're talking about, where you know governments normally claim the right over printing currency and stuff, whereas Bitcoin is the future of money as far as I'm concerned. Um, I just wanted to uh, get your take on, do do you think that Bitcoin is an example of that kind of ownership, right? So instead of governments having proprietary ownership over the uh, disbursement of currency, do you think that Bitcoin is an example of the future as well, or do you think that or maybe you see any altcoins? Do you get into any altcoins, anything like that? Well, I guess my take on it is that um, I, 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 so economically, I see money as a unique thing that solves a couple of problems. It solves a problem of the double uh, coincidence of wants. Well, I think. Uh, so trade or barter solves the first problem, right, which is being self-sufficient, right? So trade is a good thing. It's being a part of society and trading and the beginning of the division of labor and the specialization of labor. But then you have two problems that arise from that, which is um, the um, um, – um, the the double coincidence of wants and also the um, the calculation problem. So money arises naturally in, in response to that. And in, a, in 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 the origins of any intelligent sapient species, namely humans, it's going to be a commodity like gold or or something else. Um, and I think that when you have a, an advanced society like we started to have. Uh, a little too early because I think we came out of the trees too early because we still had religion and belief in Uga Boogas and uh, that kind of bullshit. Um, so that's why we're going to kill ourselves with nuclear missiles and, uh, you know, you know, cutting off teachers' heads in France and that bullshit. Um, I, ca- I kind of think the, re- the right response, the right response is Ayn Rand might say is for the prime minister of France to like show the Prophet Muhammad on national TV and say, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you guys. But, you know, that's not going to happen. So I guess we're fucked. But anyway. 
I wish some of these so-called world leaders would espouse freedom from religion as much as they'd espouse freedom of religion. Yeah, I know. I know. I know what you mean. But uh, So I, I think that just as we had a digital transformation in terms of electronics, I'm an electrical engineer by background in terms of undergrad and uh, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I, everything is going digital. I think that it's hard for me to imagine that we won't, as a human species, someday go uh, go digital with money. And I always had a hard time thinking how that could happen because of my scarcity ideas. So until until Bitcoin happened, I thought, oh, I think, okay, I see a way it could finally happen, right? So I don't know if Bitcoin is the way, but I think there's a way. And I actually think it could be Bitcoin. Um, I don't think there's a reason to have more than one money. And I don't believe in all this other smart contracting bullshit. I don't think there's a reason to have more than one money. I think there's only a need to have one money. It should be digital. That's it. Whether it's cash, I don't care. I don't know. But I only know what I know. So my personal view is that something will finally happen someday. Um, So I'm like a hodler kind of guy. It's speculative, I know. It's the first try. It's been 11 years. Maybe it'll take. Maybe it won't. I don't know. So I'm kind of like, I'm positive on Bitcoin. I know it might not take. It might take. I don't know. Um, I like Bitcoin. I like the whole idea behind it. Um, But it's the first try. Uh, humanity and we might you know if biden wins next week we might wipe ourselves out you know um <laughs> yeah well now we've been, you got the, you got the federal reserve and a whole bunch of other central banks also talking about going digital and developing their own digital currency so the future is definitely looking bright for digital currency wait a second i'm not sure if that's bright because i think that i i mean per, my personal view is that the only purpose of blockchain is for an it's for a decentralized digital currency. Oh, I, I, don't I, get me wrong. I, I completely agree. I'm just saying it's the digital currencies are becoming more of a popular idea. Governments are, yeah. are going to come in and they're going to try and take it over. But uh, Bitcoin's, uh, Bitcoin's the first. <laughs> yeah, imagine, imagine tomorrow that the SEPTA in Pennsylvania says, oh, we're going to have uh, Uber – an Uber-based uh, SEPTA. It's like, okay, nice try. Too late. I don't know. So, uh, Stefan, we're coming up on the hour mark here. It's been awesome having you on. Um, just to change gears momentarily, and these couple questions I have for you are kind of off the cuff, so don't feel like you have to invest too much time into the answers. But um, I recently saw uh, on Facebook that you voted, and that might come as a surprise to some of our listeners, probably many libertarian anarchists. Is there anything you wanted to say on the topic of voting? Or um, maybe if you even have the desire to explain what compelled you to vote this election. And then, and I know it's probably a tricky one. And then just I uh, have to ask you, are you an iPhone or an Android guy? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, if you got, if you guys first say, if you voted and how you voted, I will answer my, I'll answer other, only if you, if you guys do first, I'll, I'll answer. I, I, I think I Johnny's the only one of us that has an answer for that. 
Yeah, I I have not voted actually yet, but I'm leaning presidential, leaning Howie Hawkins. Yeah, we're not. I'm not planning on voting. Yeah, me neither. Unless there was the only reason that would that would compel me to go to the polls is that there's something to like nullify any any type of uh, previous tyrannical legislation. You know, like if there was an end the drug war across the nation vote. Rest assured, I'd be waiting in line to do that. Um, as far as presidential polls or any of this goes, it's just it's um, it's moot to me. <laughs> I don't. Um, I think that, like George Carlin, you know, voting is consent, and I don't consent. So, yeah, I I, th- I feel like I feel like I'm afraid to answer this question for once in my life because I feel like my answer might be disproportionate to my influence or something. Because, uh, <laughs> well, dude, way. don't feel pressured at all. You don't have yeah. to answer. No, no, it. it's, I'm it's fine. <laughs> let me let me put it this way. Um, I've I my. Well, one of my my good friends is Wendy McElroy, and I respect her reasoning on the don't vote thing. I don't quite agree with that part. Um, I've always agreed that voting is pointless. Okay, but if you're married to a wife like I have, you might have to vote just to keep the marital peace. <laughs> However, I would never, ever, 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 ever in my life vote for a Democrat. Put it that way. Got it. I'll leave. I'll leave it there. <laughs> Fair enough. And what about the that last question? Just out of pure curiosity, iPhone or Android guy? Well, uh, I was always a PC uh, until about fifteen years ago, and my wife got a Mac, and I had to learn it. And so I've been I've been Mac for like fifteen years, and so. Because I'm the tech guy in the house, I have to run the house. My kid, my sure. wife. I'm the I'm the I'm the Apple guy. So I lo- I love Apple, and they've gotten better. So like right now, I'm the Apple guy. So I'm like an iPhone guy. Gotcha. Especially as far as privacy is concerned, I'm, I'm we're kind of hypocritical using Android, knowing that there's so many holes in it with uh with Google spying and everything, and Apple's so much more secure for your information and all that, but, but um, Android has been open source for years. So, yeah, that's, that's true. I guess that's right. the only difference. That's why I was yeah, curious. I gotta admit, I'm actually a little bit surprised with uh, the amount of proprietary information on Apple. I'd be I'm surprised you go with Apple. Well, on the other hand, I'm a patent lawyer, so I do all kinds of proprietary stuff that's even worse than what Apple does. So I mean, <laughs> Fair I'm enough. already. I'm already, it's like, it's like, I'm um, cheating on my wife, so I might as well, like, uh, you know, have a reefer, you know, it's like. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Kinsella, it's been awesome having you on. I, I do think we have the pleasure of saying that uh, I think you, you've sworn more on our podcast than I've ever heard in any of your interviews or podcasts or anything, and uh, that's certainly awesome. But we appreciate having you on, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.